out of school time, sometimes called OST programs, such as after school, summer, and other extracurricular programs, offer spaces for young people to develop interest, skills, and social connections beyond the classroom. Despite years of research on the benefits of OST programs, recent studies have shown that many young people from lower income families do not have the same access to programs as young people from higher income families. To explore these barriers to participation in programs and the experiences of young people who participate in them, the Wallace Foundation commissioned a student designed study consisting of focus groups and a survey to help surface young people's reflections on and hopes for the sector. The research team was made up of 12 high school and college students from New York, Colorado, and Kentucky, and was advised by four university researchers. You can read the findings in a brief on Wallace's website at www.wallacefoundation.org. The brief is called Youth Perspectives on Designing Equitable Out-of-School Time Programs. Members of the research team who contribute to the brief are here today to discuss their work. This is the second episode in a three-part podcast that will deal with the programs and practices that foster dignity and belonging. The first episode focuses on redefining the OST world and mapping access. And the third episode focuses on professionalization and precarity of the OST workforce. I'm Connor Flick, a senior at the Gatton Academy High School and member of the Kentucky Student Voice team who worked on the study. I'm also the host for today's episode. I'll let my colleagues introduce themselves. Spandana? Hi, my name is Spandana Pavalori. I'm a junior at DuPont Manual High School, and I've also been a part of the Kentucky Student Voice team for almost two years now. Um, and I also got the pleasure of working on this wonderful study. Amazing. Saida? Hi, everyone. My name is Saida Spasim. I'm a junior at the Macaulay Honors College, and I was also a part of the YPAR team and got to work with Spandana and Connor on this project. Thank you. Daniela? Hi, I'm Daniela DiGiacomo, and I'm an assistant professor at the University of Kentucky in the School of Information Science in the College of Communication and Information, and I am one of the adult researchers on the team. And last but certainly not least, Sam. Hi, I'm Sam Mejias. I'm an associate professor at Parsons School of Design in New York City, uh, and I'm another one of the adult researchers on the project. Happy to be here. Wonderful. Thank you all for joining me today. Let's dive in. The research shows that an inclusive environment is an important factor in a young person's decision to participate and stay in an OST program, even more so than the activities or learning opportunities that the program actually offers. Saida, what makes a program welcoming and inclusive? Yeah, I think this is a great first question. Um, I think one of the most important things that we found in our research is that the youth, they really care about their voices being heard and then having leadership roles as part of their organizations they're a part of. They want their voices to be heard in a way that like it affects decision making within the organization. And another thing is like this idea of having a community which isn't just because you're in a program that like you're sharing interests with all of the participants. You're doing things that you all like to do, right? You have like shared interests, but you're also building like quality time to have an inclusive experience is not just like doing the work, but also like having like trips together or like going out to like dinner or like building community in that way. Another thing is also like feeling like people are seen so like their identities aren't like ostracized or like marginalized within the groups because you know there can be like minority groups within these programs but they need to also feel included as well and so like teaching people how to interact with the different cultures like the, the leaders of the the organizations like how to um have these like intercultural experiences and 
making nobody feel left out in that way. I think you covered a ton of what we talked about. And, you know, Saida and I got to work on this question together about how have the OST programs you've been a part of provided you with a sense of community? And so the overwhelming and most frequent response was safety, acceptance and belonging, which Makes complete sense. Um, we had even a quote about a student who was part of the LGBTQ plus community and um, just being able to know that they were being respected and accepted in their program was really huge for them because it's such a major part of their identity. And then our next really um, major finding or code that we were coding among all our different responses for this open response question was relationships. So just being able to make that connection with people to not just work professionally um, with people, but also be able to call them a friend um, was super important. And I think what makes a program welcoming and inclusive and even gives it the opportunity to be is probably not constantly having you know, a predetermined and specifically adult made agenda. So it's super important that, you know, when creating a plan for an OST or an idea of what you want to do that day, you're making sure to give some time for maybe a quick icebreaker or, or even more than that, giving time for people to genuinely talk to each other and have fun and really chill um, with each other just so that they can become more comfortable with each other. Um, so yeah, this is definitely a really, really important question and something that we overwhelmingly saw as the necessity for students and OSTs. They really want this, they prioritize it, and it's what makes an OST really strong um, and will probably motivate and mobilize its members to do even more because they feel that they're heard in their community and that they have friends who will listen to them and they have a caring and supportive environment. All right, continuing from that point. Alternatively, Sam, what might make a program feel exclusive or unwelcoming to the point where one might not join or stay as a participant? Yeah, Connor, thanks for the question. Um, one of the key findings from the study we did was that 45% of respondents said that they had sometimes been treated differently because uh, than others um, in OST programs because of their race, ethnicity, gender identity, sexuality, or religion. Um, and actually nearly two thirds of our black respondents said they sometimes had been treated differently. So obviously um, the way someone is treated in that space can have a, a huge impact on their ability to feel like they're welcomed and included. Um, another thing to think about, so I've, you know, I have a background also in, in having um, worked to run after school programs. And one of the things that you notice is that there can sometimes be, depending on the context, a lack of attention and care to the after school environment. And that can make it very often feel like an unstructured place where there's little intentionality like there is during the school day. That looseness can be a good thing, but it can also discourage people from participating, especially if it manifests in, in ways um, that sort of create or generate environments where certain groups might dominate or other differences are, are treated as problematic. Um, so that's definitely one thing we saw that, that, that can be a factor on whether somebody feels like a space is particularly welcoming for them, an OST space. I, I also want to echo um, Saida and Spandana's points about making meaningful connections with adult facilitators within OST spaces, because without this, um, those spaces can really sometimes feel alienating if you're not able to make those kinds of connections. I can build on that a little bit and completely echo everything uh, you said, Sam. We we just talked, you know, I'm looking at this question right now that was like, what have they done that makes you feel like there is not a sense of community? And so like Sam was talking about things like exclusiveness, discrimination, lack of communication. And really just to talk about this lack of communication point, it's it's like 
when you're barely getting messages or when you have no external way to communicate, when you don't really know what's going on in the OST and with other people, then it makes it very difficult to feel very involved um, and integrated into the community and into the OST itself. I just have a couple of quotes here that I can read of some student responses talking about, you know, when they didn't feel included. The first quote is everyone judging or not including you. Um, which I think, you know, any student can explain why that or any person in general can explain why that would be very ostracizing and probably very daunting as well. Um, And then another student said taunting me because of my race, which is obviously very heartbreaking and can make a student feel very, very excluded within a group. Um, And then another quote we have here says, sometimes a group becomes so big or the program doesn't allow enough time to interact with other participants. So you never really really connect with anyone in the group. And, you know, that I think that goes back to um, our previous question of what is important to make a space welcoming and inclusive. And it's you have to carve out that time for, you know, relationships and for connection. And we we so often push it to the side because we think, oh, like this isn't one of our goals. Like this isn't exactly what we're working towards. But the group will function 10 times better when you have people who feel connected with each other. I kind of want to pull on uh, what some of Sam's thinking with that question a little bit and direct something towards Daniela. And I really want to ask uh, Daniela, what can be done to develop and sustain some anti-racist people and practices in OST programs to make sure that everyone feels welcomed and valued? Uh, Trying to step away from the findings that Sam was bringing forth about how OST programs can actively sometimes be racist and that they do have uh, differences based on uh, gender ID and most importantly, race. Yeah, thanks, Connor. I mean, I think this is perhaps one of the most central and pressing questions uh, right now because of what we know, both from the research and practice about how important youth workers, so these are the adults in these um, after school and out of school time settings, how important youth workers are to the success and sustainability of um, out of out of school time programs. And I would say... In terms of what can be done to develop and sustain anti-racist people and practices in these spaces, it's really about working at every possible interactional and institutional moment to, I think, to de-center whiteness, um, which is no small task, um, considering the pervasiveness of whiteness and its association with what counts as good learning or acceptable behavior in out-of-school time settings. In addition, we need to think about what that means in terms of training and recruiting program leaders and staff to be well-versed and uh, on topics that are culturally relevant and otherwise relevant to students. Um, we need to train program leaders and staff on how to create youth-led spaces that are characterized by youth adult partnerships. As was mentioned earlier, it's really important to make sure that young people are part of the constitution and design of these out-of-school time programs. So, you know, unsurprisingly, like like adults, we feel more, you know, young people feel more invested and committed to the program if they're a part of its design. And so inviting young people to work alongside program staff to make decisions about the out-of-school time program content and practices, um, this is really important, right? So they're not only a part of the design of the space and activities, but also the ethos and the culture. Um, I also think it's about preparing youth workers to understand their professional roles as mentors and coaches and supportive partners, rather than as top-down managers or hands-off chaperones. 
And again, thinking explicitly around how we can be and become anti-racist in our practices and in our interactions. Um, this is an ongoing project. It's not something that's just accomplished at one point. Um, these are things that we can constantly work on and through. And it's about shifting our own language and behavior um, as youth workers and youth worker trainers in these settings to explicitly counter and work against deficit-based um, and racist narratives about youth of color and what they are capable of and can do um, in any sort of educational or learning setting. I think there's some you know, longstanding narratives about the purpose of out-of-school time programs, especially for youth from minoritized communities. Um, we can look back to a lot of the research from um, Robert Halpern and Sua Kwan, who, who talk about how these programs have often been you know, meant to sort of keep or contain at-risk youth. And we know that that's, um, that's not what they are like, and not what they should be, um, right? These are spaces where um, all young people deserve the time and the space to flourish in an out-of-school learning settings. And so really considering how we think about their role in the broader sort of project youth development is really important. Thank you, Connor, for that question. Yeah, if I can just chime in, I completely agree with this. Um, and I think, you know, the wider questions about how do we shift the culture of OST spaces to prioritize these sort of strategic lenses into how you can actually get young people to be more um, meaningfully involved, to, to feel a sense of belonging, and also to feel a sense of dignity in the space um, that, you know, again, transcends histories of categorizing OST spaces as deficit-based spaces and as spaces for only particular groups. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's a really important point to make. It's a big challenge as well. How do we, how do we start to think about um, looking at these spaces in that holistic way where it's not just how do we you know, make the programs better or think about professional development for youth workers, but really bring an anti-racist lens across all of it. All right. Thank you both. I want to pull from some of that a little bit and point out that we've talked a lot about uh, what OC programs could be doing better, uh, what are some best practices, and how can we move forward to make sure that OC spaces are a more welcoming and inclusive environment? And I want to ask Ben Don specifically, if you could design your dream OC program beyond just what the content of the program is, so whether it's sports, arts, just whatever you like to do, what would that look like? What would the culture of that program look like for you? Yeah, so I love this question. Um, I think it's very, very exciting to, you know, think about what the possibilities are. And there's definitely programs out there that really do, you know, try their best to fulfill a lot of what I'm going to be talking about. But first, it's just that social acceptance, you know, feeling like that inclusivity. And, you know, something that I really think makes me feel valued in a space is when someone remembers and values my presence and I can feel them doing that. You know, it's, it's the difference between like noticing someone who wasn't there that day and, you know, checking up on them, something like that. Really small things like that go a long, long way. And then I think it's really important that you know, we're in OSTs because they do fuel our passions. You know, a lot of the time, these are things that we really care about. These are the things we want to advocate for. These are the 
you know, sports we love to play, something like that. And so I think really understanding and prioritizing, you know, whatever students are passionate in. So I'll give a, a quick example really quick. So I was in this program called Global Citizenship Program. And on the first day we went, they, they just asked us, they were like, what do you want to talk about? What what are you interested in? What world issues do you want to talk about? And do you want to focus on? And do you want to research? And, you know, it shouldn't be radical to have a moment like that. But it was because, you know, a lot of times you're not really asked that. And a lot of times you just go into a space and everything's determined. Everything's already written up. All the handouts are already made. And, you know, there's no room for flexibility or for change. And so I think that's something that's very important, just making time for students to be able to talk about what they care about, what they're interested in. And then um, something I really do want to hit on uh, is accessibility. Um, I do recognize that I'm lucky enough to have been, you know, privileged in terms of I, I could get the books I needed. I could get you know, transportation to school or an after school program anytime I needed. And I have technology that I can always rely on. And obviously, not every student has this. And so I think there's kind of this issue with OST spaces in that they often tend to cater to a more privileged group just because it's easier to access these people. However, there's a lot of students where there would be so many barriers that would get in the way of that student even being able to attend, and that's not even attending frequently. There's no excuse for not taking that extra step to make things more accessible. It's really, really important that you're giving a diverse representation. And so then that's my next little point of diversity would be something that it's something that I constantly value. There's just so much you can learn about another person just just from a single other person. But, you know, an OST of all different backgrounds and ethnicities and races, things like that, it just it teaches you so much more. You're able to become so much more culturally aware and just kind of become a global citizen, honestly. So making sure that you're really representing all different backgrounds is huge. Our time as like YPAR research, like, you know, being in this YPAR research group because um, kind of been an example of what a good OST would be like. I think like we've kind of built these, you know, relationships with the mentors and the people who are here and like they've sustained themselves over time. Like, you know, we started this research, I think it was like in October of like last year or something maybe longer I'm not sure but like now we're here doing this podcast so I think like having those relationships that like you can check in after a while and then like still feel like you know you still know these people and like you know they still care about you I think that's really important well that's really nice to hear thanks Saida we feel the same I mean I, I've been part of you know part of the excitement for me about being part of this project is that I get to just take a back seat and watch you guys just do amazing work and and it's um it's an absolute joy. Uh, so it's been great to sort of be able to hear you say that this models the kind of experience that you'd want to see in an OST setting. I think also it's, 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 I'm, I'm curious actually to hear what you all think about how your participation in this project has helped you think a little bit differently about OST spaces. Obviously you've generated all this, this amazing insight, um, from the research that you've done with other young people with peers, but I'm curious about how it might have shifted your thinking about the possibilities of OST. 
I'll jump in here really fast. I understand the host. I'm supposed to be a bit of a neutral party, but I can't help but answer your question, Sam, because this work really has shifted a lot of my thinking, and it has really changed how I understand OST spaces to where uh, my own research outside of this group and outside of this podcast focuses a lot on equity. It focuses a lot on the pandemic and on race in the classroom and how we understand kind of the school climate of our classrooms and the social dynamics and what goes into that and how we can create kind of that culture of care and empathy that I think Spandana was really talking about in terms of those tea spaces, really trying to take that culture and put it into the classroom. And one thing that I'm just constantly, constantly thinking about with this project is just what's possible and what should be expected uh, of OST programs to really say that they're equitable and to really say that they're effective. And Spandana said this really uh, beautifully to where if you're a group that's advocating for uh, a certain population, if you're a group that's uh, targeting a certain population, you should be doing everything in your power to recruit them and to engage them and to fold them not only into the programming that you have, but also the leadership as well. And that sort of stance of shifting away from just uh, students as people who participate and young people as people who participate in OST, but more so young people as leaders of OST and young people as partners in OST of creating spaces that are uh, quality and equitable and meaningful for young people beyond just the exact things that they're doing, but really bringing that social aspect of that networking aspect and uh, a lot of that social capital in us to play as well is something that really, really transformed my thinking of OST, not just as one element of one part of the day, as it so often gets relegated to, but more so a space and a place where students can really go to be heard and engage beyond just the classroom and get really, really, really great quality learning and engage with their democracy and engage with their communities uh, beyond just the school setting, which so often students are relegated to. I think since doing our research, I've actually worked like at an OSC. Like I've been like one of the youth like leaders at an OSC. So like I was in charge of like the experience um, these young people would have had. And so I think a lot of what we talked about in the research, like I took that with me in my role as being like the mentor. And especially after doing like this research, like I understand like, you know, building community is so important. Maybe I didn't realize that as a participant, but I definitely realize it now being like, you know, a youth leader or a mentor. There's something so valuable in an OST where you feel genuinely cared for and where your achievements are really celebrated rather than, you know, people being, uh, it being more competitive. And so when you're in a space where people just unapologetically cheer you on and care for you, that's very, very important. So counteracting competitiveness is also a really important um, aspect of an OST. And I think to really pull that all together kind of nicely, it's that culture of collaboration and empathy that we really see shining through and that we so desperately need in our OST programs. And some of them are very effective in incorporating it and introducing it into our lives, but there's always more that can be done. So as we wrap here, I have one last question for all of you. What advice do you have for funders, policymakers, and other decision makers to improve dignity and belonging in OST programs for all young people? Saida, let's start with you. Maybe we should just send them this podcast. No, um, no, I think what's really important is just having these conversations. I think that's one of the conclusions we made about like how do we, like where do we go from here after like doing all that research? 
is like having actively having these conversation and including the youth as well you know we're just one group of young people but i bet like you know there's a whole bunch of other perspectives on this and so yeah we, we just really need to see what the youth want and like kind of listen to them i think that's one big thing thanks Aida. yeah i think when i think about what we can do to ensure dignity and belonging in these programs i think about you know for those who are thinking about starting an after school or an out of school time program or for those who run them or those who want to fund them thinking about what is the purpose why are you starting this and what is your sort of goal i think if we think often about education and youth as a project of development we should ask ourselves what is the purpose of that development um i always think about there's a a good developmental economist called Amartya Sen, and he argues that the project of development should be freedom or the ability to live a life that one has reason to value. And I think like thinking about encouraging and supporting young people to be, to pursue the lives that they have reason to value, not the life that you value, is, a, is an important way to think about how we can promote spaces that foster dignity and belonging. And again, thinking about how can we can decenter our own sort of of egos and ways of being and recognize um, the richness that comes with the plurality of perspectives and experiences is a really important thing to consider. Completely agree with, with what both of you have said, but I, I think it's, it's simple too. It's, you know, the advice I would have for funders and policymakers and decision makers is center those concepts when you are constructing programs, OST programs, center dignity, center belonging. That should be the outcome you're desiring. That should be the outcome you're striving for. Um, and I think, you know, we, we see evidence of, of this starting to happen, but I think it's around taking those sort of core principles that are around equity and saying, okay, well, this is actually what the entire intention is behind what we're trying to do. And, you know, that starts the process of building dignity and belonging from the top, which I think is, is incredibly important. Yes, I absolutely loved everything that was said so far. You know, some other things that funders or just even OST leaders can do. Um, so for funders specifically, it would be about funding program outreach, because that's often what makes it really difficult to access those marginalized communities, because it, it takes, you know, other mediums, it takes the extra effort. And, you know, sometimes that does involve money. And so funding program outreach, and then providing resources to eliminate those frequent barriers, and then promoting flexible time commitment options is super important. And then for OST leaders, I would try and, you know, find workshops on anti-racism standards, connecting with new young people, um, setting the foundation for high quality OSC. And I really, really do hope that community and accessibility and dignity and everything that Daniela, Sam and Saida said are on there because very, very important. But so many students want to talk about this. And, you know, all our responses are a testament to that. You know, I think you pretty much nailed everything that uh, the research shows. I think you spoke to it wonderfully. And this last question, I think really highlighted uh, some of the more actual things that law spaces can do and what the next steps are for a lot of people that are running those two spaces now. And so I wanna thank you all for your time. I wanna thank you all for this conversation. This has been wonderful. I also wanna highlight once again that if you want to learn more and if you want to read further, you can read the findings in a brief on Wallace's website at www.wallacefoundation.org. The brief is called Youth Perspectives on Designing Equitable Out-of-School Time Programs. Thank you all once again 
for having this conversation with me. This has been wonderful. I'm Connor Flick, and I'll see you around.